Hello everybody and welcome to June of 1991. In the news this month, NBC announces Jay Leno will succeed Johnny Carson as host of The Tonight Show. Boris Yeltsin wins Russia's first presidential election with 57% of the vote. Chicago Bulls beat the LA Lakers 108-101 in Game 5 for their first of three straight NBA titles. The song, Everything I Do, I Do It For You, is released by Brian Adams and will become the Billboard Song of the Year. Colombian drug lord Pablo Escobar surrenders to the police. And the number one song of the month is More Than Words by Extreme. Welcome back to another episode of Be Kind, Please Rewind, a 90s movie podcast. Hello everybody and welcome again to Be Kind, Please Rewind, a 90s movie podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Kevin. And it's June 1991. This was uh, a month. It was a month. A month where we have major disagreements. A month where we existed and um, we are here now. <laughs> a month where we recorded this episode already and you forgot to turn your mic on. Yeah, I'm not good at pressing buttons apparently. <laughs> <laughs> So we're doing this twice? So if this lacks genuinity, is that a word? Genuinity? Genu- if it's not genuine, like the R&B singer. <laughs> then... If you're not riding my pony. <laughs> oh boy, here we are. Let's we're get, in let's, the let's... car again. <laughs> At least we're out of the tree. Yeah. Okay, let's get it going. How many, how many uh, movies we got this week? Uh, I'm under the assumption that we have 12 movies. There are 12 movies. That is correct. I'm glad that you're keeping up. <laughs> I'm I'm keeping score. <laughs> All right, you're up first. I am up first. All right, coming in at number twelve, earning one hundred and fifty eight thousand dollars. Wait, can I say big big money? Hold on. What? I'm happy to be here. <laughs> I'm always happy to be here. I, I gotta be honest though. I was putting my son to bed, and I was like, I really don't want to go to his house right now. <laughs> I was on my way to your house and you called and canceled. <laughs> I had packed up all this equipment and then you were like, you know what? Put it all back up because I'll just come to you. I couldn't imagine being in my basement recording right now. Well, I don't know. <laughs> it but... smells down there. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And back to Bright Angel that grows the whopping $158,000. This is a movie that did stuff and things. That's it. <laughs> it's set in Montana. A teenager longs to escape from his broken home before his dysfunctional parents push him over the edge. When George meets pretty drifter Lucy... She easily convinces him and his friend Claude to join her on a road trip to Montana in hopes of breaking her brother out of jail. On the journey, the three encounter a slew of volatile and twisted people. Is this a horror? I don't know what the hell this is. It's Dermot Marloni. <laughs> it's probably not how you pronounce any of his names. Oh, first it's, or for, last. No, it's 1000%. <laughs> Dermot. What do you say? Dermot. What, what, how else would you say it? Dermot Mo- Mulroney. Well, now you got me all messed up. It is Mulroney. You you said Dermot Mulroney. (laughs) I like my way better. Fine. He's Dermot. Dermot. I don't know. I don't have a stupid name and I won't mispronounce it. So Dirty Face Steve is in it. Lily Taylor. Who's she? Uh, She's from The Conjuring. She did a ton of TV. Sam Shepard from Black Hawk Down, Mud and the Right Stuff. And there are appearances by Bill Pullman and Benjamin Bratt. Nice Bill Pullman. Yes. Um, interestingly enough, in this movie, Lily Taylor, she was fired midway through filming, <laughs> yet they didn't replace her. <laughs> I don't know how that works. 
You're not good enough to be in the rest of this movie, but you were good enough to be in the first part of it. I'm assuming they clipped like pieces of what she had done before, like into the rest of the movie, or did, they just like killed her off somehow. Did, I don't did, know. Did they do what they do with like uh, post mortem actors and actresses? They, where they CGI'd just her face yes. out of someone else's face. <laughs> Somebody else just ADR her voice. <laughs> All right, coming in at number 11, Dark Obsession, grossing a whopping $333,000. A group of young British guardsmen have to cover up a hit-and-run incident that occurred at the end of a night of drunken revelry. Stars Gabriel Byrne, who's Keaton and Usual Suspects, and that's as interesting as we get. Revelry, huh? IMDb <laughs> made me say words. I, I should have chosen other words, but revelry. I just... I. I gotta be honest. I cut and pasted that into into my notes, and here you we liked are. the you liked revelry, revelry. Say words, bro. Love it. Speak. Love uh, it. Enunciate. Coming in at number ten, Kickboxer Two: The Road Back, earning one point two million dollars. I gotta argue. That's yeah. that's one point one million dollars more than this movie deserved. <laughs> I can't debate that because you want to know who's not in this movie? Who? Van Damme. That's so weird. Right. Like, how are you going to make a sequel to a movie but not have the star? So, you know what they did? They killed him off screen. Oh. <laughs> and a... then his brother, supposedly, like, it's his brother that's now fighting to, like, for his honor. You know what? Uh, here's a thought. Out of all the movies and the ideas that must get thrown around in Hollywood and, like, the scripts, and this is what gets made? Like, there was no better option than a shitty knockoff version of a terrible movie to begin with. And then you kill the main character off screen and just remake. Like, why do that? I mean, because if you make this movie and call it like the other kickboxer or like something else, like like if you rename it, rebrand it, it's not going to make any money because it's definitely a terrible movie. But at least now they're going off the coattails of the previously... I'm assuming Kickboxer had some success. Obviously, it was because I guess of that, but, makes sense. but it was also obviously just because of Van Dam. Yeah. So you're not really going to have success with this one. But well, this it, is why it grossed 1.2 I million dollars. Like based on these numbers, but like, what did a movie cost in 1991? At like, least a few million dollars, like, right? Col no, no, no. I mean, like to go to the movies. Oh, like, I have no idea. Like four dollars. <laughs> so fifty cents is that? So, is that how this so works? what I'm saying is. What's one point? So they got like, uh, you know, 3.6 million people to go see this movie. <laughs> it's like, not, it's they, not they, how they did any right. of this works. It might be. <laughs> All right. <laughs> did you, was there a plot to this movie? Let's do no, that. No, I am told you. I'm not telling you the plot because it's stupid. It's not how this works either. <laughs> I told his brother dies off screen and he's got to go revenge against Poe. Who's Poe? I don't know. The guy who killed his brother. Exactly. I didn't want to read it. All right. All right you want me to read it? Fine. Please. A year after Poe kills Kurt, David, who has a kickboxing gym in LA, is manipulated into a match against Poe. <laughs> okay. No further clarified. David is Kurt's brother. Or no, right. I'm sorry. Kurt is David's brother. I, David was Jean-Claude Van Damme. I got to get off a kickboxer. <laughs> I, come I tried to three times. Sorry. I had questions. <laughs> Coming in at number nine, Europa Europa. A boy in Nazi Germany trying to conceal that he is Jewish joins the Hitler Youth. Uh, stars a lot of German and Eastern European actors. Also uh, directed by somebody who's 
Eastern European. That's what I meant to say. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I don't close know. Close to each other. Anyway, I uh, I really like the idea of this movie. It I, sounds like a good premise. Like I, I feel like a movie like this should have been made like better. Because well, gross. I'm sorry, gross five point five million dollars, which that, isn't isn't bad. It's not good either. Well, it's not great, but coming in nine in, in a in a random month in 1991. What does the year have to do with it? At the time, it was just now here we are and it wasn't like okay, this fine. is 1991 let me, let's just make I, shit movies i will rephrase my statement okay coming in number nine in a random month period fair, fair <laughs> but i'm just saying i love i love world war ii stuff and Same. this sounds like an interesting but, but who doesn't love world war ii stuff i mean how many move every year there's a world war ii movie and they can just keep making them and people keep going to see them yeah well yeah. i'm on board keep making them i'll go see them all right anything else no. No one's in this? No, I told you there's weird people in it. There's a, <laughs> so much editing going on right now. I, we, we, no, this conversation's we, lovely. We, we recorded eight minutes. I had like four minutes to edit I out. ask you to not edit a second of this. So far, this is gold. <laughs> Just take out my cough from before. All of this is being edited out. <laughs> no, leave this too. Let the people know how this works. <laughs> Stop. All right, let's go. Get on All board. right. Coming in at number eight, Suburban Commando, earning $6.9 million. All right, so wait for this premise. I know who's in this. So. We all do. Problems with his rocket compel space-traveling vigilante Shep Ramsey to spend some time on Earth. Plunking himself down in the middle of suburbia, he rents a room from Charlie and Jenny Wilcox. Shep attempts to acclimate himself. He skateboards. He accosts a mail carrier. <laughs> that's how you acclimate yourself by, <laughs> by accosting a mail carrier no, that's, that's what we explanation. that's what we do in suburban America <laughs> but he's destined to be a fish out of water <laughs> oh my god hold on so by the pre- by the definition of the sentence accosting the mail car <laughs> Mail carrier is not what makes him the fish out of water. That just oh yeah, he fits in. <laughs> what would he do? Oh, he just beat the mail carrier's ass. Oh, he sounds like a great guy. All right, here. We go. But when his outer space enemies arrive and pick a fight with his new friends, Shep is ready to prove his mettle. This fu- the the explanation of this movie is fucking incoherent. It makes no sense. This is out of control. Oh, by the way, this is. Directed by Burt Kennedy from The Trouble with... He directed The Trouble with Spies. Starring Hulk Hogan, Christopher Lloyd, Shelley Duvall. And guess what? This mm. was originally written for Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. But they chose to do twins instead. It sounds like an amazing decision career-wise. <laughs> I did find one interesting fact, though. Mm. So apparently, uh, Mark William Calloway a.k.a. The Undertaker. Mm. Uh, he took a role in this movie at the advice of Vince McMahon um, before he became big in the WWF, like before he even made his appearance. Because mm-hmm. Vince McMahon was like, yeah, do this. It'll help heighten your career and we'll be able to make a real entrance. People will know who you are. Spoiler alert, nobody knew who he was based <laughs> on this movie. <laughs> it's facts. <laughs> All right, that grossed, I don't remember if you said $6.9 million. I, did, I think I did. I don't know. Coming in at number seven, a 90s classic, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. And I watched this one. I did some extra homework this week. Nice. Grossing $25 million, five siblings are left home alone all summer 
when their mother leaves town. That that's not doing what the mother did justice. The mother went on a vacation when they have no father in the picture to Australia for like three months, which is like the most irresponsible thing you could ever do as a right, parent. You're not talking like a couple of like like it's not five teenagers. It's yeah. two teenagers, two um two middle schoolers. And an elementary school student. Right. Uh, so anyway, uh, their mom leaves town and the evil babysitter bites the dust. So stars Christina Applegate. Keith Coogan plays Kenny. Uh, he's also in Adventures in Babysitting. David Duchovny plays like the douchey, sleazy, trying to get ahead guy. Directed by Stephen Herrick. Directed Critters, which is Leonardo DiCaprio's first motion picture. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, The Mighty Ducks, and The Three Musketeers. Three Musketeers is your favorite. One of my favorites. I'm also going to bring this movie up later to make a point because I had a lot of time to think about this. He also directed Mr. Holland's Opus, Holy Man with Eddie Murphy, and Rockstar. The guy, the director, Stephen Herrick, has a real, has a really solid um, resume. Uh, resume. Thank you. Well, this movie, I mean, I don't know how much of it's nostalgia. Like, how much I love this movie is just because I loved it when I was a kid. I don't... I mean, I can understand that maybe playing a factor, but also, like, it's a solid movie. Well, I mean, like, remember when we watched Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2? Like, I uh, thought I was going to hate it going in, and I didn't. Right, but a lot of that's because... No, for you, maybe. Maybe, I don't know. I, I Going into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, I fully anticipated hating the movie, thinking that there's no way that this could entertain me. And I was thoroughly entertained by it. Yeah. I'm not going to say that it was like a... But I go into these these movies knowing I'm going to have a good time. Yeah, I mean, that you know, that plays a factor, but... Yeah, well, I love this movie. I watched it. I would, I'm going to watch it again. Number six? Coming in at number six, Jungle Fever, earning $31.7 million. Which is a lot of money now, right? Yeah. For so number six. Well, this is a Spike Lee joint, so it's going to make money. Mm-hmm. Uh, a married black lawyer named Flipper begins an affair with Angie, his white secretary. When the news is leaked through an acquaintance, Flipper's wife kicks him out of the house. Flipper decides to begin courting his mistress, only to be greeted by disapproval from friends, family, and even strangers. The relationship continues to be strained in a society not ready to accept it. Based off the description of this movie, I can understand why this would have made money. Um, it's a pretty volatile time for... Uh, I guess interracial couples. In, yeah, in, and interracial like issues throughout the country. This month is actually the month where the four police officers who beat Rodney King were actually convicted and lost their jobs. So, you know, there's all that going on. Like that was major, major headline. Racial news. tension. Racial tension throughout the country. So anyway, so this movie stars Wesley Snipes, Annabella I'm definitely gonna mess this up. Annabella Skiorka. Uh, she's from The Hand That Rocks the Cradle and Tons of TV. Also, Ozzy Davis, who plays the uh, bait shop owner in Grumpy Old Men, and Ruby D from American Gangster, and then there are there are a ton of like little roles from big name actors: mm-hmm. Samuel L. Jackson, John Turturro, Halle Berry, Tim Robbins, Queen Latifah, and Michael Imperioli. They all make appearances. And just an interesting fact: Halle Berry was playing a, uh, a crack addict. She did not bathe for two weeks in preparation for her role. Coming in at number five, Dying Young, grossing $32.5 million. I was fully convinced that this was a Mel Gibson movie, but it's not. You thought it was Forever Young? Yes. (laughs) They have Young in the title. It was close enough. A nurse falls in love with a terminally ill man. I guess enough said, right? (laughs) 
Stars Julia Roberts, Vincent D'Onofrio, who plays Private Pyle in Full Metal Jacket. It's directed by Joel Schumacher. We've been down this road before, but he's directed St. Almost Fire, Lost Boys, Flatliners, which we did last year, Falling Down, 8mm, and a movie that I saw on his IMDb called Flawless that stars Philip Seymour Hoffman and Robert De Niro, and I don't care. I need to watch that just for the sake that they're both in Do you think it's Flawless? Sure. (laughs) But he also directed Batman Forever. And Batman and Robin. Yeah, we're going to omit those. <laughs> Everybody makes mistakes. All right, moving on. Coming in at number four, Chris. So, coming in at number four, The Rocketeer, earning $46.5 million. Hmm. Cliff Secord is a cocky stunt pilot in love with a beautiful actress, Jenny. When he discovers a jetpack hidden on a biplane, Cliff straps on the rocket, dons a flashy helmet, and becomes the high-flying hero known as The Rocketeer. But when Nazis want to use the rocket as a weapon, Cliff must use his alter ego to both protect Jenny from an evil actor and save the day in this period adventure based on the comic books by Dave Stevens. Yeah, I really remember this movie having like a uh, being really it had a big buzz. this it had a month. Buzz. Yes, it had a big buzz to it. And actually, I th- I'm like 90 percent certain that in the movie theater that I frequent, mm-hmm. there's still the movie. Poster. poster hanging in the hallway. Yeah, I remember the artwork for this poster too was significant. It was it, important. It was subtle. It wasn't like yes, flashy. It understated. Was, it was like just like 50s his helmet, right? Yeah, but it was like or just his helmet. Esque. It was his helmet. It was like black and white, and then there was just like a little bit of color, like in the like a piece of the helmet. Like it was, it, it was meant to like intrigue you. Yeah, which. I remember being intrigued by it. I remember for certain my parents had rented it at least. If have, if we didn't see it in the theaters, we definitely rented it. And like I remember as a kid, it it was like an it was like a big thing, like an event. This movie. Yeah. And you want to know something? I do not remember anything about this movie. I just remember no, nothing. Him. Yeah, I don't know. Um, directed by Joe Johnston, who directed Jumanji, Honey nice. I Shrunk the Kids, and Captain America: The First Avenger. Jumanji uh, is a gem. Yes, it is. He also did the visual effects for Raiders of the Lost Ark. You want to argue about Jumanji and the sequels? N- not right now. <laughs> um, I do. I have no love for the sequels. I don't hate them like you do, but... <laughs> I watched them, so I don't that, hate them, but you, also... You accuse them of being remakes when they're sequels. I don't want to go down this road. We're not doing this now. We'll do this when we talk about the actual Jumanji. Okay. So this, my point is, don't ever remake a movie that Robin Williams was in. That's my point. Don't do that. But go ahead. Fair enough. I digress. Fair enough. Starring Billy Campbell from Enough and Dracula, Jennifer Connelly, Ooh. your your, bo- your boo, your boo. <laughs> is, that, uh, is that what we say? <laughs> she's from A Beautiful Mind and Requiem for a Dream. Don't say it. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to say it. I was almost, I, it was it was coming out of my mouth until you interrupted me. <laughs> uh, Alan Arkin from Argo and Little Miss Sunshine. Alan also Arkin. From, that's what I said. Yeah, no, I was making a point. You kept on speaking. Because I was going to say also Edward Scissorhands, yeah. and I have a feeling you were going to cut me off and say it. No, not that. I was just going to say that he's uh, very talented. I, I enjoy whenever he's on screen, Alan Arkin. He's a good actor. Uh, Timothy Dalton, who, of course, was James Bond for a while. And Paul Sorvino from uh, Goodfellas. Oh, Paul Sorvino's another gem. Yeah. A lot of good people in that movie. Yeah. This is something I'm going to 
circle back to you it. know what this would be how's this this is a great movie for me to watch fun friday with the kids i'm definitely doing that it's a good idea maybe, sold maybe i can join whenever you want you're right my <laughs> phone let me <laughs> all right she lets me out once every two weeks to do this <laughs> it's, it's enough <laughs> all right we did our thing on the countdown countdown is counted down moving on to the big boys Coming in at number three, earning $86.9 million, The Naked Gun, two and a half, The Smell of Fear. Washington, D.C., where violence explodes every day. But America's toughest cop is pounding a new beat. Lieutenant Drebin. The police squad is back. Please! Is this some kind of bust? Very impressive, yeah. They're ready for action. How you doing, Trooper? Ready for love. I'm lonely, I'm lost, I need someone to hold, to love. Frank, over here. And ready for seconds in the movie that proves you can lead a cop to water, but you can't make him think. The water's over there, Frank. Starring Leslie Nielsen. I don't recall seeing your name on the guest list. Nothing to be embarrassed about. I sometimes go by my maiden name. If it's not dangerous, he's not interested. Priscilla Presley as the irrepressible Jane. Robert Goulet as Quentin Habsburg. The truth hurts, doesn't it, Habsburg? Oh, sure. Maybe not as much as jumping on a bicycle with a seat missing, but it hurts. George Kennedy as Captain Ed Hawken. Congratulations, I understand that Ed is pregnant again. Yes, and if I catch the guy who did it. And O.J. Simpson as Nordberg. Step on it. If you only see one movie this year, you ought to get out more often. The Naked Gun 2 and a half. The Smell of Fear. Give me the strongest thing you got. This is a sequel so big, they had to add another half. This movie is... Uh... Dog shit? No, I wouldn't go that far. Okay, it's dog vomit. <laughs> no, I'm saying that if you like slapstick, this is the movie to watch. Other than that, I mean, if you want to watch a good movie, you have many other choices. <laughs> this is not a good movie. How about the tagline? If you only see one movie this year, you ought to get out more often. <laughs> <laughs> I think that like, like they they're self-aware. They know this isn't the one movie you'll see. That that in itself sums up this movie though, does it not? Like that kind of humor? Yeah. Um I'm not going to lie. I had a tough time sitting through the first half. And then I think just like in that scene in Billy Madison where everyone becomes dumber, <laughs> I think I got so dumb that I started to enjoy this movie. All right, well, let's do uh, the actors first. Leslie Nielsen plays Lieutenant Frank Drebin. OJ, yes, the juice, the plays juice. Nordberg. Priscilla Presley plays Jane Spencer. George Kennedy plays Ed Hawken. Richard Griffiths. Who's Richard Griffiths, Chris? He's Uncle Vernon from Harry Potter. Your favorite movie of all time. Well, no, it's not. No, it's definitely. No, it definitely isn't. All right. So the plot of this movie, I, do we have a plot? 
I actually have one. Go ahead. Frank Drebin discovers that his ex-girlfriend's new beau is involved in a plot to kidnap a scientist who advocates solar energy. Basically, he's trying to kidnap this this uh, doctor to replace him with a fake doctor. Who to, is the same guy. Who is the same guy. To tell the president to not go to reusable, reusable energy. energy. Keep on using coal and fossil fuels. And all the coal and fossil fuel people are like involved. And they're like, I don't know. Is there one person in, like that's in charge of coal? Yes. <laughs> Because that's how this movie makes it. <laughs> With the secretary of coal. This guy's in charge of coal. This guy's in charge of nuclear. And this guy's in charge of uh, natural gas, I guess. I don't know, man. I mean, look, I I laughed, right? I mean, this movie's a it's a Stooges-esque comedy. It's But it's not as good as the Stooges. Yeah, but the, I agree with you there. But, I mean, I, I chuckled. There were moments that I found funny. There were moments that I like said, yeah, as a 12-year-old, I would love this. You know what? You know, you want to compare it directly to the Stooges. There's a scene in the very beginning where he's eating dinner at, at uh, the White House or whatever. And he's eating a fucking lobster. And he can't get the lobster open. And the, the, the lobster's like half alive. It's claws are closing. It grabs the boob or the woman next to him. Which is George the, Bush's wife, this Barbara is, Bush. This is, but this <laughs> is so a story. You know, with the, the exception of the, the, the boob pinching, this is a Stooges episode. Stooges have done this countless times. Crabs and lobsters and whatever else. Like, this is... That's what this movie is. Stooges, I love, I guess, because of nostalgia. Uh, this movie, I have it's no also, love for. Well, also, the Stooges do it in, like, five-minute segments. Like, y- Well, no, they did it in 22-minute segments. But Regardless, it was much shorter and easier to get through, and... There was no continuity from episode to episode, so it didn't matter. This tries to make sense of stupidity and put it together. And there was just nothing that I found interesting for at least the first 20 minutes other than like a chuckle here and a chuckle there. Yeah, well, that's what this is. So laugh at stupid jokes. Laugh at, you know, somebody getting smacked in the face with a door. Laugh at a a lobster grabbing somebody's tit. Like that's what you're laughing at. So if that's what you like, then here you go. Yeah. All right. You want to get into uh, some categories? Yeah, because that's all there is to do with this movie. Yeah, really. The director, David Zucker, directed, no surprise, Airplane, Top Secret, Ruthless People, Naked Gun 1 and 2, and Basketball. So basically, he just follows around Leslie Nielsen. (laughs) Yeah. He also wrote, had a hand in writing a lot of those movies. so. So what's your best scene? How about that? Do you have a best scene? There was a scene where they mocked uh, the uh, pottery scene in Ghost. I thought that was really funny because I hate ghosts. So, <laughs> and there, I I enjoyed the clear cutaways when you knew it wasn't him. Yeah, well, he, had, he had like double. Yeah, he had like six pack abs, and she reaches down into his jeans and pulls out a hunk of clay. Where they really drive home the fact that like ghost metaphor was like way too on the nose to be a metaphor. They can't stop with the phallic jokes. They keep coming in. Just the same as uh, Austin Powers. Yeah. <laughs> Drilling for oil was one of them. Yeah. So many. So many. More more than I can count. And oh. I laughed at that. And I actually said 12-year-old. 12-year-old me would find this hysterical. <laughs> All right. Your, uh, your favorite scene? My favorite scene was, I guess it was more just a throwaway conversation. They're, they find a wallet and they're discussing the boxer that 
the wallet belongs to. And it leads them down this road where they're just naming all these old boxers, but they're just named after states and cities. And they're just going back and forth. Oh, this is Ohio from Michigan. Oh, this is uh, Detroit from California. And it, like, that's just what they're doing. It's stupid, but I found it funny. And then it, it culminates with Frank just looking over and just saying, you know, all I know is never bet on the white guy. <laughs> <laughs> Facts. <laughs> I also liked it's not my favorite scene, but the blues bar scene because they, the the trope was like all the sad lonely men that were there, so they panned like from one guy to one to another guy to another guy sitting by themselves at a table, and then the pictures on the wall behind them were the Titanic and the the Hindenburg <laughs> and like other other disasters Just as depressing as possible. Right, the cigarette girl was coming around. You know how like the fifties or whatever she had like yeah, yeah. The, the tray of stuff. She had cigarettes, but also she had nooses and razor blades for sale, <laughs> so, so you could kill yourself. And the part that I found funny that's not funny at all. <laughs> The Chicago Bears showing up out of nowhere. That was ridiculous. It made no sense. Were they even in Chicago? I don't even know. What's your worst scene? I don't have a worst scene because it's to have a best scene. Like I don't even have. A, I don't. I don't even have a best scene. You know what I mean? Like you what, had what, the most tolerable scene. I had the most tolerable scene. Like I, the part that I found the funniest is what I picked as the the best scene. I mean, what else are you going to do here? This is a, this is a slapstick right. comedy. So You're not, if I had to pick the worst scene, my worst scene was the end of the movie when with the bomb and it's about to go off and everyone is sleeping from the, well, actually that was pretty funny. I take that back. All right. <laughs> I look, I don't have a worse scene. I, I just wrote who knows because like the whole movie is, I'm not going to say it's bad because it wasn't like, it wasn't like ski school bad. Right. It wasn't that bad. It was sit throughable. That's my new adjective. Yeah. Adverb. Ad, uh, adverb. You could do worse. That's the best I could do for this movie is that you could do worse. I, I got nothing else to say about this movie. I, I'm really trying here. You got, who, who, you got a best actor? No. I mean, OJ maybe. And that's really tough to say. All right. Because so, how do you pick the guy who's OJ? All right. So I, my best actor, my best role is Leslie Nielsen because the, he carried the movie. I mean... I don't want to say he carried the movie, but he's the main character in it, and yeah. it's not and, a terrible and movie. And he had to pick so. someone? Yeah. All right, so let me re-explain why I picked OJ. Okay. Because it's not OJ, it's Nordberg. Right. That's my favorite character. He doesn't say anything. He does occasionally, but like he doesn't really say anything, and he's just always getting caught up in things. He's, he's, the, he's like the side funny. Yeah. And I enjoy that character. Well, I put OJ as my worst role only because I feel like I'm supposed to say OJ. So so that's why he's my so worst. So there's that. Uh, worst role for me, I don't, Priscilla Presley, just because I've never seen her in a movie and I expect more from the daughter of the king. <laughs> All right. Most quotable line? She was the type of woman that made you want to drop down to your knees and thank God you were a man. She reminded me of my mother, all right. Frank, snap out of it. You look like you're staring at your mother again. Bro, you <laughs> missed the whole monologue. All right, though. do the whole thing. All right. So my most quotable line is, is Frank having like an inner monologue. He's going, I couldn't believe it was her. It was like a dream. But there she was, just as I remembered her. That delicately beautiful face and a body that yes. could melt a cheese sandwich from across the room. <laughs> and breasts that seemed to say, hey. Look at these. <laughs> she was the kind of woman that made, made you, you want to drop to your knees and thank God that you were a man. man. She, she reminded me of my mother, mother all right. right. No doubt about <laughs> it. And then Ed goes, Frank, 
Snap out of it. You're looking at her like she's your mother for Pete's sake. <laughs> well, that's so random. It is like, random. All right, so the monologue was wild in itself, but then for, for Ed to say, you're looking at her like you're looking at but your also, mother for God's sake, like really drove the joke home. She reminded me of my mother, all right? Like, what is this? This is an Epidus complex. <laughs> yeah. So that was the best. Yeah, that, was that was the best line. The best quote. Movie. Yeah, you're right. We're we're in agreement. I agree. Concur. Concur. Do you concur? No, I concur. All right. I concur blew with it. What? I blew it. Why didn't I concur? <laughs> All right. So, anything else in here? No. I love when he's he's interrogating her about the doctor, and he goes, "Have you noticed anything different about him?" And Priscilla Presley goes, "Only that he's a foot taller, and he seems to be left-handed now." <laughs> <laughs> Didn't she say more than that? There was a few more. There things. was a couple of things, but that that was the gist of it. Yeah, it's good. It's good. All right, that was it. All right. Anything else? Are no, you ready I'm to really move on? Really, way done with this movie. Yeah, we spent way more time than this movie deserves. All right, coming in at number two, Chris. City Slickers grossing one hundred and twenty-four million dollars. That's a lot of money. And this is a good movie. You ever reach a point in your life where you say to yourself, "This is the best I'm ever gonna look." the best I'm ever going to feel, the best I'm ever going to do, and it ain't that great. Happy birthday. For Mitch Robbins, turning 39 wasn't the end of the world. It just felt like it. I'm losing hair where I want hair, and I'm getting hair where they shouldn't be here. I found four big fat ones on my back. I'm starting to look like the fly. He couldn't put his finger on what was missing. Show him the brochure. It's fantastic. But his friends could. Two weeks, the three of us, driving cattle. What, like in a truck? No, it's a real old-fashioned cattle drive. Go away with Ed. Take Phil. Go and find your smile. Welcome to the Stone Range. Believe it or not, that work you saw a while ago, y'all are going to be doing that the next two weeks. My ass hurts just watching this. What do you think? I think you look like one of the village people. That is the toughest man I've ever seen in my life. Did you see how leathery he was? He was like a saddlebag with eyes. Over now! Hi, Curly. Kill anyone today? They ain't over yet. I got a special treat. We're gonna make fresh coffee. Wow, something's spooking the cattle. Stampede! City folk. The scouts having a baby. Reach in and pull out the calf. You know, this was not in the brochure. Billy Crystal. Look what I did. I made a cow. Daniel Stern. I lost my wife. I lost my job. And I've got some sort of rash for making in the bushes. And Bruno Kirby. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Oh, God. Hit the trail. Oh, the secret of life is. No, what? This. Your finger? Just one thing. What's the one thing? That's what you've got to figure out. Let's just leave the herd. Not today. Sometimes you have to get your feet wet. Oh, God, I don't like this! To sit a little taller in the saddle. I'm 39, I'm saying moo cow in a river. Do you believe this? <laughs> Came out here, city slickers. You're gonna go home, cowboys. City slickers. I'm on vacation! All right, so City Slickers, this is a classic. 
movies like this are the reason why we're doing this podcast. Yeah, these are the type of movies that are comedies, but they're also good movies. It's yeah, no, it's a movie first. But my point is, like, you don't get comedies that are good movies, and this movie is a comedy, but it's a great, great story. So Billy Crystal plays Mitch Robbins. Bruno Kirby uh, plays Ed Ferrillo. Jack Palance plays Curly. Daniel Stern plays Phil Burquist. And then there, there's a few others. Yeah. So basically, these three guys are having midlife crises, spending every year going on a different adventure. They're running with the bulls. They're going to Italy. They're Now they're going to a cattle ranch to learn how to become ranchers. And this is just them trying to, to find their manhood, I guess. Well, the pro here's here's a more accurate description of the plot. Oh, because you're so much better than me. No, it's, I, I wrote it down so it's succinct. Mitch, played by Billy Crystal, is bored with his life and go, he's going through a midlife crisis. His wife makes him go on a trip to the uh, the ranch that his friends had planned for him. Uh, there he finds his happiness and his quote unquote smile, which is the thing that the movies. Uh, <laughs> Keeps so, on saying because Mitch Robbins is nothing but miserable. Yes, <laughs> and especially on his birthday, so much so that he's so sad at work. His his boss goes, "Oh, happy birthday!" <laughs> Just because he's sad, he knows. I've seen this movie so many times, like countless times, and still, upon this viewing for the podcast, I wasn't disappointed at all. Like I was actually surprised on how much I still enjoyed this movie. Yeah, you know. I've watched this movie at least three times in the last year and just as good every single time. Never what, gets old. Why don't you tell everybody how you watched the movie this time? <laughs> this time I watched the movie because stupid Amazon doesn't let you rent this movie. You have to buy it or nothing else. And I'm a cheap bastard. So I had Kevin point his computer on while we were on a Google meet. I had him point his computer at his television while he watched it. And I watched city slickers. On Kevin's TV through Google Meet through my computer. That had to be like the most uncomfortable viewing ever. <laughs> I still enjoyed it though. That's how good this movie is. All right, that's good. The only the well, we'll get to it. I was gonna say the only bad part of this movie. We'll, we'll talk about it. We'll get there. I want to just pull some scenes from this movie because I think that it's it's episodic in that sense where well, and what I love about this podcast too is by forcing us to rewatch movies, not forcing us, but like getting us to rewatch movies that we've seen a million times. It's making me look at the movies through a different lens. Yeah. And scenes that I otherwise thought were uncomfortable and stupid. Yeah. Turned out to be like the best parts of this movie. Yeah. Well, it makes you analyze the movie a little bit more deeper, I think, generally. Right. Like you're 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 making sure that what what might have what you might have been nostalgic about still holds up. Absolutely. And it makes you think, OK, what what about this? Didn't I like why didn't I like it? And then it made me realize, oh. The scene, should I, should I just... Yeah, sure. Yeah. Go into So, it. in the scene where they're having the dinner party for Mitch's birthday at Mitch's apartment... Yeah. Um, What is uh his... Phil? Phil has <laughs> a girl show up to the party screaming about how she's pregnant. And it ensues this whole fight between him and his wife. So I was like, why is this 18-year-old girl coming to tell you she's pregnant? She's a cashier at my father's store. And he's the manager. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I don't know. I'm her boss. <laughs> and we have a health plan. <laughs> we have a health plan. Get into this huge and fight that really was uncomfortable the first time I saw it. But when I paid attention to it this time, it, it was just so funny. She starts saying some nonsense to him. And what does he say about China? 
She says, I hate you. He says, I hate you more. If hate were people, I'd be China. China. (laughs) And it just really was just so well put together. The girl in that scene did such an amazing job of being this high-pitched voiced girl who really didn't belong in a movie but fit into this one. She's uh, the voice of um, Lisa Simpson, I believe. Linda Cartwright? Yeah. Is that who it is? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's... Okay. She's the same person. Anyway. Oh, we know that's Bart Simpson's voice. She's the a voice on The Simpsons. That that much I know. Which one? Who knows? I also like uh, the fact that his mother calls at 516 every year for his birthday to wake him up. Well, that's one of the interesting facts that I found out about this. Yeah. Billy Crystal's mother in real life does that or did that. I don't know if she's still with us, but... So that that's a true life story from Billy Crystal. There's a couple of things in this movie that he brought from his real life into this movie. Okay, I like that. I also love the uh so the pizza guys commercials. You brought that up before with his boss. So he's like his boss is like you bought it. You put it on 3 times a night during drive time. People are having accidents. <laughs> and then Billy they're having like the same conversation and at one point Billy C- Crystal goes, "You ever reach a point in your life where you say to yourself, this is the best I'm ever going to look?" The best I'm ever going to feel. The best I'm ever going to do. And it ain't that great. And what does his boss say, Chris? Oh, happy birthday. (laughs) (laughs) What about Phil pretending to be asleep every time his wife's in the room? Oh, it's so good. So he doesn't have to interact with her. It's so clearly him faking sleeping on the plane, at the... uh at the party, everywhere. He's just faking sleep. Well, we've, we, so I've just noted, like, we've noted together, like, four, five, six great scenes, and we haven't even gotten to the ranch yet. No. And there's still one more scene we haven't spoken about before the ranch, which is when they're at his son's school. His son played by Jake Gyllenhaal. This might you. be the best scene in the whole movie. Yeah. So, so his son is played by Jake Gyllenhaal. This which, is Jake Gyllenhaal's first movie, which I didn't know. Yeah. But it's so clearly Jake Gyllenhaal. Now that you know, you'll never unsee it. Yeah. So we come into this, I don't know, what is like a construction worker telling this story about how amazing it is to be a construction worker. And all the kids are on the edge of their seat just going wild. He's telling a specific story about the fact that they had this area roped off. And this this woman with the big black glasses and the Bloomingdale's bags comes (laughs) walking into the the construction area. But then the crane falls down on top of her. Yeah. And she goes, ah, my legs, my legs. No shit, your legs. You got a two-ton crane on it sitting on them. He's like, and then he's like, you know how in emergency situations you get this superhuman strength? He's like, well, Ernesto was able to lift the crane off her legs and I slid her out from under and the doctor was able to save her legs. He's like, so the moral of the story is don't go walking where you're not supposed to because there might not be a person with superhuman strength to save your little asses and don't do drugs. And the kids cheer. (laughs) And the teacher's beside herself. The only thing I can say about this scene is this has to just be through Mitch's eyes, right? Yeah, that's the only way that it makes sense. When you said that, I never really considered that, but yeah, it has to be. It has to be just Mitch is just so miserable that even the life of a construction worker who like is basically this guy's a buffoon. Not the construction worker's a buffoon. It's my father's a construction worker. Yeah, but this guy is. But this guy's a buffoon. Yeah, he's a and, yeah, he's a little bit of a blockhead. Right. So even even this guy to Mitch is like his life is just so much better than mine. The kids love him and the kids are gonna hate my job when I tell them about it. And <laughs> that's the only way the scene makes sense. Yeah. So then Mitch goes on to which Mitch has great dialogue in his scene too, but not as good as the construction worker. <laughs> 
All right, so let's get into the categories because we could be here all day quoting scene by scene. What was your best scene? Do you remember? All right, so my favorite scene is when it's nighttime and they're, Curly's dead and the other guy had broken his legs and he's gone and they're stuck with just the two ranch hands. What were their names? Jeff uh, and TR. Jeff and TR. And Jeff and TR are drunk, acting like lunatics. And finally, it pushes Mitch over the edge. What pushes Mitch over the edge is they take out a gun and they're putting it in the cow Norman's mouth, mm-hmm. the cow that Mitch had birthed from a ca- from a cow. <laughs> you know, that's where cows come from. That's where they come from, I guess. Right. So he's all mad about them putting the gun on Norman. He tries to save him casually, you know, making jokes like saying, "Like, oh uh, yeah, you're you're such a bad boy, Norm. Stop bothering these young guys and come with me and whatever." And the ranch hands don't like it. They get mad. They punch Mitch. Ed jumps out of nowhere. He punches one of the hands in the face. Uh, then the hands pull the gun on Mitch and then Phil comes out of nowhere and he just kicks the gun right out of the hands, the hand of the ranch hand, mm-hmm. the, the hand, hand of the, the hand. hand. <laughs> he picks up the gun and he's like mad and Phil is just beaming and he starts saying all this nonsense, how mad he is. He's like, I hate bullies. My father-in-law was a bully. Bullies are bullies are the worst. They don't just bully you. They have to make you feel small or whatever it is he says. And he's holding the gun. He cocks the trigger. And, and the guy's freaking out. And he just goes, bang. <laughs> the guy shakes and, and rocks. He goes, now go sleep it off. I lost my wife. I lost my job. I got some sort of rash from making in the bushes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good scene. And the scene's just intense, funny, great. Perfect. Yes. I think my, my, my favorite scene is we went over already was the career day scene. Yeah, because that numbskull gets you every time. The joke is never not funny. <laughs> What's the worst scene? I think the birthing of the cow. Why do you say that? Because it's gross and unnecessary. Uh, that's fair. <laughs> not unnecessary, but gross. Necessary because it brought him and Curly together. Wait, I take it back. That's not my worst scene. Okay. My worst scene is the opening cartoon credits. Facts. That's a fact. <laughs> well, I don't know. Why do they keep doing this? I don't know. And they did it in Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead also. Oh, it's the a- worst. Every comedy. It's from- never good. It's never been good. Not once. Every comedy from 1984 to 1997 has it. It's, not, it's never been good once. Never. Not once. Never. All right. My worst scene is the stampede scene. I just felt like it was a little slapstick. Oh yeah, that was bad. It they, was, they got the sh- the guys in the shower, Ira and Barry Shallow. It's the uh, one of them's in the shower, the other one's recording, and they're jumping up on rocks and in the tree, and the cows are stampeding because Billy Crystal was making fresh coffee with and the he grinder. Doesn't, and he doesn't realize it, and he keeps grinding the coffee. Yeah, and the then whole Jack Palan stops the whole thing by shooting his gun. Which, like, why didn't you do that in the beginning? Then, if that's all it took <laughs> to stop this whole chaos from ensuing but on top of everything else this scene was already done in the beginning of the movie when they're running with the bulls it's like it's a carbon I mean, copied yes. scene yes it's the same thing they're running people are jumping grabbing onto signs yeah swinging on the i signs, guess i guess when you put it like that getting bull horns up to took us <laughs> all right <laughs> best role uh i'm gonna say mitch yeah by Billy crystal, Billy crystal. Yeah. yeah daniel stern was a close second for me yeah, I, I think they're, they're just all so good. Everybody's good, yeah. That's why I wrote... Jack oh Palance is great. Uh, worst role, I wrote, who did a bad job? Like, how can you say worst role? I mean, maybe the girl. Who? I don't even know her name. The one that ends up with Phil. Yeah. 
I just think because they, they didn't she, give her. Yeah. No, 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 not she because she did depth. anything. Just that the, the character. The character lacked depth. Yeah, you don't know anything about her. Why she does was Phil only up, there to be an object. And though. why does Phil end up with her? They, they never. Because the Phil needs Phil needs a happy rebound. No, that's fine. I'm okay with that. But there has to be a connection. Like this woman's in oh, the movie. Oh, when did they yeah. get together? Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. All right, whatever. I'm on board with that. Let's right. do some quotable lines because I only have like a dozen of them. Well, I already said my favorite quotable line, so let's hear some of yours. <laughs> All right, when they're in the very beginning, when they're on, in the plane, and uh, Billy Crystal's like telling uh, the story about how Mitch threw up on Willie Mays, and he goes, "Say hey, that's lunch on me." <laughs> <laughs> or uh, we did already. If hate were people, I'd be China. Right. What about when he's talking to Barry and Irish Shallowitz? He's like, yeah, but on the ice cream, it's, Hold on, it's, this is great. it's two other people. It's two. And then Barry or Ira, I don't know which is which, goes, good looking people. And then the other one is like, yeah, if it were us, could you eat? <laughs> you know what quote I like when they're talking about? <laughs> he's like, he can he can match any ice cream with any meal. Yeah. And there's just no science to it. Just, and he goes, Franks and beans. And then he goes, scoop of chocolate, scoop of vanilla. Don't waste my time. And he <laughs> what, throws the plate on Billy Crystal's plate. What's the one where he thinks really hard and he's just like, rum raisin. And he's like, oh, yeah. No, they say wolf, not wolf. oh, yeah. <laughs> he goes, uh, sea bass, grilled, sautéed. <laughs> he's like, he's potatoes are gratin, asparagus. And he starts to like sweat and really think <laughs> about it. Yeah. And he goes, <laughs> rum raisin. And then they go, woof. He's like, woof, what? How do you know he's right? How do we know? 1,200 retail locations across the country. That's how we know. That whole that whole interaction like made my whole night. <laughs> the rum raisin. What about when they first get to... I would argue rum raisin goes with nothing. Fair. <laughs> I, what about when... um. They're they're first at the ranch and Phil's still all depressed about the shit that's just happened to him. And he comes up to... Uh, Comes up to Mitch and Eddie, and they go, "Where you been?" And he's like, "Oh, I was just watching him castrate a horse." <laughs> <laughs> so casual. When he's delivering the cab, he's like, "Will you hurry up? She's bursting." And he, Mitch is like, "Oh God, there's gonna be bursting." <laughs> you know, the best part of that scene, even though I hate that scene, he actually delivered that calf. I know you told me that, and I don't like. I believe it, but I still find it hard to believe. And they had three other pregnant cows on scene just in case the first one didn't work out right. That's wild. <laughs> At least they had a backup plan. Like I said, Billy Crystal, he's he's all in in his films. Deep, deep. in it. So you remember the Shoulder scene? deep. I don't know why I'm going off on this tangent, but you know the scene where Billy Crystal is telling the story about going to the Yankee game with his father? Yeah. yeah. Really happened. Really? Yep. True nice. story. That's that's heartwarming. Also, Billy Crystal's a huge Yankees fan. Yeah. But he wears a Mets hat the entire movie. Yeah. Because he started a foundation this year, like right before this they filmed this movie. Yeah. And the Mets like donated like the big the big large sum of money he needed to like really get it off the ground and running. Yeah. So he did it as like an homage to the Mets, like, thank you for donating this money, even though I hate your team. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> uh, I got a few more, then we'll move on. What about after Curly dies and Phil goes the man ate bacon at every meal. You can't, you can't do, do that. that. <laughs> <laughs> you can't, though. Two more, then we'll move on. What's it? Bonnie says goodnight, and Billy Crystal goes goodnight, and then Ed goes, that was flirting. And Billy's like, that wasn't flirting. That was have a quiet and restful evening. And Ed goes, that was I like your ass. Can I wear it as a hat? <laughs> <laughs> this just reminded me of another scene I love that we didn't talk about. Which is? 
Ed's calling out Phil for cheating on his wife. Yeah, yeah. That that whole scene, like it wasn't funny. Let me get you hot, Phil. He's <laughs> aisle nine. I need to clean up aisle nine. I clean up aisle nine. What'd, what'd you use for protection? Paper or plastic? Uh, yes. So maybe it was funny. It was very funny. <laughs> that whole interaction was great. All right, last one. When they're talking about the VCR, he's like, he doesn't get it. He'll never get it. It's been four hours. The cows could get it by now. They're, they're like a few beats go by without them saying anything. And Phil goes, how do you set the clock? <laughs> <laughs> Here's a question. Has anyone ever in the history of VCRs had the right time on their clock? No, the problem is that any time the power went out, that it reset to 12, so you just got fed up with it. This is such a pain in the ass to go back. Yeah. All right. The last thing I wanted to say about this movie, and you know, we can move on unless you have anything else you, that you want to note, is that watching this at 41 and his midlife crisis was like oh, way too so relatable. relatable. <laughs> so relatable. <laughs> like he's in a... He's in a job that he doesn't like and like he's just a miserable prick for no good reason. But like, you know, he has everything that he needs. He just doesn't realize that he has everything. You have that all he the needs. things you need. Right. You know that the things you want. Right. But you're still you're miserable. Still about it. <laughs> <laughs> so. All right. That was it. That was it. Uh, obviously, would you recommend this movie for watching? hundred percent. A thousand percent. I want to watch it with you. Watch it repeatedly, please. Just, yeah. All right. We're on to the number one movie, sir. Coming in at number one, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, earning $165.5 million. Azim the Great One, I am home! Father? Mr. Robin, is that you? Did this to you, Duncan? Guy, Guy Guzman, the sheriff of this witch. I will not rest until my father's avenged. These years have left us many in need. While you and my brother were off playing boy heroes, Nottingham has plundered the Shire. Who are you? John Little. When I killed the sheriff's man. You are nothing like us. Your souls do not shed blood in the hands of God! Fool, you started a war. We're already at war. And I say we strike back at the very man who takes our home. All right. Are you ready for this discussion? We're back in the car again. Here we are. All right. So what did you think of this movie? I did not did not care for this film. I had a lot of time to consider this. I'm not going to try and convince you that I'm right because clearly you're entitled to your own opinion. This is what I'm going to say. The movie Three Musketeers. Do you know the movie I'm referencing? That movie has a specific feel to it that was not the intention of this film. Anticipate? I'm trying to make a fucking point. Yes, I know the film. Three do you know years. it well? Like, do you know the I movie know it, well? I know it. I've seen well it enough? I've seen it twice, both times with you. So. Okay. That movie 
would not be classified as a good movie, right? Right. Okay. I love that movie. It's thoroughly entertaining. It's well shot. It's it's uplifting in a sense, and it has good music, good characters, good quotable lines. Everything that I love in a movie is in that movie. That's not a very good movie, as far as like, you know, what movies I'm trying are to concerned. Say. Right? Yeah, I understand what you're saying. That's this. No, this this doesn't fall into okay. that category. You know why you're wrong? Do you know why you're wrong? That because you misread the fucking movie. Because no, you misread. No, the movie. you misread the movie. Because I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna give you a couple instances that now that I had time. Hold on, to we have to talk. This. Nobody knows what we're talking about. That's number one. <laughs> I just want to. straight into I want to strangle wanted to you. Tell me That's how why. I'm wrong. All right. So first of all, Kevin thinks that this movie was a satire. No, 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 no. That's not what I said. I said this movie is a lighthearted version of Robin Hood, but it's not, not to be taken seriously. It's not supposed yes, to. Yes, it is. It's supposed and I'll to tell be a you serious why. movie. I'll tell you why. Let's get. Let's start out properly, okay? Kevin Costner it's plays to Robin be Hood. A serious movie. Let's stop for a second. Kevin Costner plays Robin Hood. Morgan Freeman plays his right hand man Azim. Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio, who's in every fucking movie this this year, plays uh, Marion, Maid Marion. Christian Slater plays Will Scarlet. Alan Rickman plays the Sheriff of Nottingham. Michael Wincott, who is uh, the bad guy in Three Musketeers, the movie I just brought up, uh, plays the Sheriff's cousin, Guy. And then there's a few others. Okay? So the, all these actors are known for playing, doing lighthearted versions of movies. What does that have to do with it? It has everything to do with it. This movie was supposed to be a serious movie. It was supposed to be the it's not. the I'm going the to tell legit you why. version of Robin Hood. Okay, you tell me why and then I'll counter. How is this movie supposed to be serious? I mean, how is it not supposed to be serious? Okay, I'll give you examples. You're going to hear me sure. out? Sure. Okay. Alan Rickman says at one point that he wants to cut Robin Hood's heart out with a spoon. Cut to the scene a little bit later, a few minutes later. His cousin Guy, Michael Wincott, is sitting there pondering why the sheriff wanted to cut out Robin Hood's heart with a spoon. He couldn't grasp the concept. He's like, why a spoon? And then Alan Rickman's response, almost verbatim, because I haven't, I've seen this movie once in the past 20 years, is that because it'll hurt more, you twit. Like, that's comedy right there. Okay. Okay, so one comedic No, 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 not this- one. You misread the whole movie. What about the friar, right? The 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 drunken friar. They captured the the whole crew that was like he was part of um what's the word? A uh, I don't know, bandwagon for lack of a better term. There was a whole procession that he was a part of. They whoop everybody else and leave the friar because he's got a a wagon full of wine or beer whatever he's drinking, right? They bring him back to where they're camped out in the woods. The friar, like, drunkenly, like, almost escapes, kicks Robin Hood in the face, and he's like, oh, you got to wake up early to get the best of me, and he's laughing on his way out, and what happens? He's driving off and gets slapped in the face with a branch and falls off the, the wagon, and then, so, like, he didn't escape. All right, so here, here's, That's not comedy? So here's my counter. Here's my counter. If this movie was supposed to be a lighthearted version of Robin Hood, why is this the movie that's specifically parodied by Mel Brooks? He doesn't he doesn't parody parodies. And like is it's it a parody? No, is it not a parody? It's not a parody. The, but the whole idea is none of this movie was good. Nothing was good. Even if it was supposed to be the lighthearted version, I still don't like it. Okay. Well, then th- that's I, I that's your opinion. Funny. That's your I found everything dumb. I didn't think the movie fit together. I thought everyone's line reading was atrocious. I thought that the 
The, what about at the end? The, first of all, hold on. The accents were so terrible. Nobody could do an accent. That's fair. Even even Alan I, Rickman, who is British, was terrible. I'm not. And ar- I love Alan Rickman. I'm not arguing whether or not this was a good movie. But that's exactly what we're arguing. I think it's a terrible movie. Nothing was good about it. No, there there was a lot that was good about it. There no, was nothing there, that you enjoyed about it. Sure. What about what about at the end? Alan Rickman who's saying that he, he wants one thing to be pure in his life, right? When he's talking about the maid Marion, when he's forcing her into marriage and then almost So he's he's sadistic. I don't know. Like Dude, he was a bumbling idiot. If you couldn't see that, then I don't understand how you're able I, to I, discern I understand that he was a bumbling idiot. I don't think it was done well. Okay. I enjoyed it. I, I like not. this movie. This movie's atrocious. Uh, Kevin Costner's a shit actor. All around. He's not shit just actor. a shit actor. He literally has two different accents throughout the movie. <laughs> like, you can see the parts that they filmed before they fired his his voice coach or whatever the hell they call it. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, that's a that's problematic. This is what makes a movie bad. Okay. I don't give a shit about that. I like that it, I was okay. well... Sh- it was, yeah, he's... Kevin Costner is... Somebody that didn't age well I in the sense that hold on, let me finish a thought. He doesn't he doesn't age well in the sense that whatever attraction or intrigue he had in the nineties doesn't translate to today, which is I'm sure why he's not in movies anymore. So you're gonna tell me Kevin Costner's a bad actor? I'm a thousand percent on board yeah, with you. He's not just a bad actor. Like Kevin Costner's a bad actor, yes. This might be his worst movie. <laughs> There's no way that, that, that that's In accurate. In terms of acting, it might be 100% accurate. Okay. Well, whatever. I enjoyed it. I liked the scenery. I liked the way it was shot. I liked the music. I liked the storyline. I liked the characters. Well, the I liked some of the dialogue. The story, you can't say you like the storyline. The storyline is just Robin Hood. It was a, it was a portrayal of. No, it's, all, it's literally the exact same storyline you always see with Robin Hood. So oh. that, that you can't just say you like the storyline. Okay. Well, I like the movie, so. Anything else that you want to add before, you know, we go outside, fist fight, and come back? <laughs> I will say I enjoyed watching the movie only because I saw where it paralleled from Robin Hood Men in Tights. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that was fun for me to pick out. Like when I reali- when I first realized when the blind, what was his name? The guy who got his eyes cut out. When he first came stumbling out blind, I was like, oh, my God, that's supposed to be Blinken. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, this movie's based. This is Robin Hood Men in Men in Tights was based on this movie, particularly. <laughs> and then I was just looking for it the whole way through. All right, let's hit some categories because we had it out. So what else is there to do? Kevin Reynolds is the director. Directed Count of Monte Cristo, one of my all-time favorite movies. Waterworld, which is f- whatever. It's a shit movie, right? But yeah. I, I, Also, Waterworld's a shit movie. Kevin Costner is the star. I like that movie. I remember liking that movie, too. But again, I mean... We're going to get to that movie, too. There's movies it's that... It's not are- a good movie. I know when the movie's not a good movie, but I like it anyway, right? Like, Waterworld's probably one of those movies. I know everyone hates it. I kind of like it. One of our Armageddon. favorites... Armageddon. Armageddon. Right. Most people hate Armageddon. We love it. Right. I, I, I know when a movie is bad, but like even Armageddon was supposed to be a serious movie. There's lightheartedness in it, but it's not like... There- it is a serious movie. Right. I don't know. I, I'm just saying, like, it, there's a difference between being a bad movie... And like having lovable moments and then having this pile heaping piece of shit trash movie that <laughs> nothing's good and I hate everything. 
You must have been in a pissy mood because this movie has has a lot of high points. Also, Kevin Reynolds directed. Sorry, have you ever seen the Hatfield and McCoys, the TV miniseries? There's I three episodes. I never watched it before. Bill Paxton's in that, and that it, that is so good. Well, we love Bill Paxton. Yeah, well, I mean, even still, aside from Bill Paxton, that that was a really good uh, miniseries. What was your best scene? Did you have one even? I mean, if I had to pick a best scene, I'd probably say like towards the end. It's one of two scenes. It's either when uh, the whole treehouse scenario was on fire and the visuals there, there, there were woodland were village. Yeah, there woodland village. The visuals there were fun. The fire was like terrifying. <laughs> and, you know, it was just a good little action scene. Also, the very end scene when they set up the whole the hanging to try and save everybody. Yeah, that so, was good. It was nice to see like a plan and them come through with the plan and the plan get like messed up and them having to find a new way through it. And live. Yeah. And that was exciting. And, you know, you get to see him shoot the arrow and shoot the rope with the arrow. And that's always fun is watching Robin Hood be a super marksman. Right. I agree. Okay. I like the baby delivery scene when um, little John's wife is uh, having a problematic birth. That's your that's your best scene. Well, the reason why I liked it is because I felt there was real peril. Like you felt intense. The scene felt intense to me. And Morgan Freeman comes to save the day, and he's like, he's gonna give it like a cesarean. I'm assuming was what was going on because the baby wasn't fitting through the birth canal, or whatever. And then Robin Hood goes to him like, "Do you know what you're doing?" He's like, "I've seen it done on elephants before." <laughs> Or camels or whatever the hell animal he referenced. So I, I that was like one of the scenes I just just like just didn't like the most. I don't know why. And then right it, after, I feel like there was no, it, it had no driving force to the entire movie. Like it didn't fit. It was just a random scene for no reason. Having this woman almost die from giving birth, there was there was no reason for it. And I take it back. It's not my least favorite scene. That my least favorite scene is Kevin Costner with no being naked and marrying drooling over him like, yeah that that's a fact but i'm i'm thinking about what you're saying i'm trying to consider it without being argumentative i guess you could argue the point that it, it i wouldn't say that it didn't fit but it didn't need to be there sure but i still think it was a good scene she was pregnant something happened it was did you know, you know it was, she was a side did you quest. know she was pregnant before the two seconds before when it's like oh she's she's going into labor no <laughs> What you difference does know. that make? She was There's a big no girl. Purpose. It was hard to tell. There's no purpose to it. It doesn't. It does nothing for the movie except maybe you want to argue that it, it gets. It finally gets Morgan Freeman's character accepted. Maybe that's what it is. Right. I don't know. Okay. By the friar, which is. But who cares? Nobody. The friar's an outcast. He. he it was he, the camaraderie of the group is what made the movie. I guess. Like you're talking about, like it's it's not a it's not the best comparison, but you're saying like. Why did the we have to have the calf birthing scene in City Slickers? I also said I didn't like that scene. I don't know, man. <laughs> so. But also, it was a good scene. I mean, in my opinion. Whatever. Anyway, worst scene? I said everything with Maid Marian. I thought she was... Her character was just useless. Not useless, but like I didn't like her. She was bad. I didn't think she helped the movie out in any, in any way. I thought every scene with Christian Slatner was actually I the actually worst thought scene. Christian Slater was the only good part of this movie. Did I say Slatner? I definitely Sl said Slatner. You said Slatner, actually. Whatever. Christian Slater was definitely the worst, in my opinion. His acting, it seemed like he phoned the whole thing in. So, uh, The fact that you can say that when he was 
starring alongside Kevin Costner. What is your best role? Christian Slater. You see, you're just a you're fucking contrarian is all you are. That's not it at all. That's not it at all. My best scene, my best actor was Alan Rickman because he played a bumbling idiot and he did a great job at it. So, worst role? Kevin Costner. Definitely Kevin Costner. Robin of Loxley. He's, he's the worst actor that's ever come across the screen. You know what's funny? My dad loves Rob, um, Robin Hood. My dad loves Kevin Costner. Like, loves. Why? I don't know. It's got to be a 90s thing. It's convinced me my whole life that Kevin Costner was good. He's not. He's not. He's Field, never been good. I think it's because of Field of Dreams. All right. So, most quotable lines? All right. My, my best line is when the friars finally brought into, like, the village and he's... He's drunk, but he's just telling everyone about grain. And he's like, this is grain, which any old fool can eat, but for which the Lord intended a more divine means of consumption. Let us give praise to our maker and glory to his bounty by learning about beer. How is that not funny? It was funny. Okay. But there's no levity in this movie. No, I didn't say there's no levity. Your your argument is that the entire movie is about levity. But because it has to be the entire movie or they're just pieces because pieces. Okay. So if it's just pieces, then my point stands because literally everything Alan Rickman does in this movie is completely a joke. That's not true. So it's either the whole movie is a joke or just pieces are a joke. What about the scene when he murders his cousin? Did you find that stupid? Yes. No. No. I found that real, actually. That yeah, was yeah, 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 yeah. His cousin fucked up to the point of no return, and he needed to pay for it. And he stabbed him, like, comforting him, and then he shoved the, the, the knife or the sword in his stomach or whatever, murdered him on the spot. That was a real scene. All right, but fine. 90% of... Look at his- Armageddon. Look at Ar- Take by way of example. I want to make a point. Take by way of example Armageddon, right? Where the, the ridiculous scene between uh, Owen Wilson and the big guy, I forget the big black guy's name or whatever. No, he's not even talking to him. He's talking to Ben Affleck. He's like, he's like, if this was Star Wars, who would you be? He's like, yeah, I'd be Han Solo and you, you'd be Chewie. And then Owen Wilson's like, Chewie, have you even seen Star Wars? Completely unnecessary scene. Just a little bit of comedy in the middle of, an, uh, of a generally okay serious movie. I'm okay with a movie. little bit of comedy. The entire character of the sheriff of Nottingham was a jackass, but like not a jackass to the point of like, Oh yeah, he's just a jackass. It's over the top. Stupid. It's not good. He's supposed to be a bumbling idiot. Right. But he's, but he's not a bumbling idiot in the point of like, Oh yeah, he's just, an he's idiot. not completely he, incompetent. He's, he's, he's just, incom- nobody is though. He is. He's incompetent to the point of, he never should have gotten this far incompetent. It doesn't make sense. That that mean you know that might hold water, but still. Anyway, my favorite quote is uh, from Alan Rickman. He's like in the middle of like a heated argument about what Robin Hood just did or whatever, and then he's in the hall, and there's these two, these two women there. He goes to one of them, "You, my room, ten thirty tonight." And he goes to the other one, "You, ten forty-five." And he goes to walk away, and, and he looks back and bring a friend. How is that not funny? I'm not. I'm not saying it's not funny. I'm saying it's it doesn't fit into what they're trying to do in the tone of the movie. Okay, so don't make any jokes in a serious no, movie. No, that's not what I'm saying. I don't know what you're saying. I'm saying I hate this movie. It's a piece of shit. Okay, well, you're wrong and I'm right. Okay. <laughs> or you're right and I'm wrong. Either way, I still like this movie. The bygones be bygones. Fine. Whatever that fucking means. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else about this movie? What about the Sean Connery cameo for they, no reason? For no reason. And okay, so cameos need reasons now. That's where we're at in I, your did argument. I, did I say you're the one who said for no reason? Yeah, but I you wanted to drive home the point. I was just gonna say 
He didn't do a good job with it either. He did a great job. What about the Brian Adams song in the credits? Everything I do, I do for you. It was like the number Fant- one song of the year. Yeah, for like the number one song of all time, maybe. <laughs> you know what I want to talk about is how bad the sets were put together. I thought they were great. Not one set was like well put together. What are you talking for, about? Except for when they actually were on location. Like the sets in the, were atrocious. In the forest? Atrocious. The forest, the whole forest village that actually, they that built? Actually, forest village is pretty good. Was I, I, can't, I, can't argue this, I can't argue the forest village. It I was... Sh- look, one of my favorite parts of this movie is how it was shot. It was but shot like... I thought the dungeon was it terrible. It was so attractively shot. With the exception... What are you talking about the dungeon with the was exception, terrible? With the exception of the forest... What do we call village. it? The forest village. <laughs> That's what, the rest of the sets all felt like sets. Like, it felt like we were looking at a movie set. Nah, I disagree. All right. What about the far-off shots from the fucking castle? I said, of I, Luxley's it, castle. I thought, I thought it looked terrible. Nah, I disagree. Whatever. I couldn't disagree with you more. So, normally, I'm the hater. So, now I know how you feel when you're sitting here reveling in something that you loved and I'm sitting there pissing on it. You know what? No matter what happens, you hated Silence of the Lambs. Nah, I didn't say that. <laughs> I still don't know how I feel about it. Okay. I was just disappointed for one reason. That I felt like... So good. No, we're not going into this again. All right, fine. <laughs> <laughs> What's coming up next month? All right, so next month, in no certain order, we have Hot Shots. Oh, my God. Another slapstick comedy. But Although, I got to tell you, to my recollection, this is the best of them all. Maybe. Um, I remember the scene where the they're like, you know, the sex scene. <laughs> he puts an olive in her stomach and like pushes down on her stomach. Uh, puts an olive in her belly button, pushes down on her stomach, and it pops up into his mouth. <laughs> That's disgusting. <laughs> they, were, they were eating all sorts of different foods off of each other. Ew. Also next month, we have Boys in the Hood. Nice. I can't wait to rewatch that. And the number, well, I'm not going to say what, well, it was the number one movie of the month. Might be the number one movie of all time. Is T2 Judgment Day. Oh, so good. Is there anything else for next month for a mini-sode? Yeah, so one of our all-time favorites, which somehow did not even break the top three. Point Break? Point Break. Oh, my God. Utah, give me two. Uh, you got Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, which is not as good as the first. Oh, Mobsters came out this month. Oh, that movie did not hold up as well as it should. No, you rewatched it. I've, I own it on, on our app. Yeah. And- yeah, no, not as good as I remember, but okay. I can't wait to tell the story behind Utah, Get Me Too. Utah, Get Me Too. <laughs> we definitely that, have to rewatch that. Definitely rewatching that. All right. All right. That was uh, an yeah, episode. That was rough. I'm still angry at you. I'm still angry at this episode. This is going to be so bad. I just, I don't understand how you didn't understand the fucking movie. The fact that you, you, All right, we're done. you disagree with the tone, it doesn't... Doesn't sit well it's with me. It's not what they were going for. I'm sorry. That's my issue with it. It might have hit that tone, but that's not the tone they were intending. So the director didn't see the comedy in the scenes that he was shooting? No. Yeah, you're a thousand percent wrong. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Later.